Hey everybody, my name's Sean, and today we are going to be continuing our learning series on the Old Testament book of Ezra. Now we should have learned a little background on Ezra, that it's a story about God reclaiming his people according to his promises, and that for us, through Jesus, God reclaims and redeems our lives for his purposes in the world. But it's also a bit of a tragic book, because the people in it keep leading themselves into failure despite the continual intervention of God. And this leaves them with the full knowledge that what is truly needed is a holistic transformation of their hearts. I definitely encourage you to go deeper in your studies of this text and join the Zoom study we have that goes hand in hand with this series on Thursday evenings. But as we began our examination of Ezra last week, we learned together that God not only redeems our past, but gives us an abundant future. Through the story of King Cyrus, we learned that oftentimes, even if it's scary, we can trust that God has better things in store ahead of us than what's behind us. And this week, we will find through the text in Ezra that God uses improbable people to do impossible things. But before we dive in, let's pray. God, wherever we are and whenever we are joining in worship, we invite you into this space. Through the reading of your word and the singing of your praises, transform us afresh and anew to love you and love the world like we never have before, a transformational kind of love. Knowing that anyone and everyone around us is a part of the story that you are creating here on earth. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name, amen. Now I got a question for you. How is it possible that someone could be described as all of these things? Traitor, war profiteer, womanizer, Nazi, and also, perhaps one of the greatest humanitarians that the world has ever known. Some of you may already know who it is that I'm referring to, because the story of Oscar Schindler is one of the most fascinating in human history. So much so, in fact, that the movie adaptation of this story was nominated for 12 Academy Awards, winning seven, including Best Picture. This is the story of a man who was a Czechoslovakian Nazi spy during World War II who purchased, actually a better word would actually be seized, a Jewish business to operate a business that made its money off of the war efforts. And he had Jews as employees because they did just as much work for a fraction of the cost because their employment with him protected them from torture and certain death because his business created supplies needed by the Germans for the war. You see, Schindler was a man in debt in large part due to his alcohol dependency and he needed to repay it. And this was his plan to do so. But he would do even better. Not only would he repay his debt, but he would become rich in the process. This plan was foolproof. But God had other plans. You see, because as his business started, Schindler saw the humanity in his Jewish employees and realized that his business founded on greed and exploitation could actually become a place of refuge for the Jewish people. Instead of exploiting them for his own benefit, Schindler began to use his business and his connections to save as many of the Jewish people as he possibly could. And Schindler had no regard for his own financial cost or cost of his own life. He traded in every dollar he would have gotten from this lucrative operation in exchange for the protection of the people the Nazis swore to wipe off the face of the planet. Oscar Schindler is now buried in a cemetery in Jerusalem the capital city of Judaism. It's understood that Schindler saved the lives of around 1,200 people by doing what he did. 
But not only did he save those people, he saved thousands more who would have never existed had Schindler not done what he did. It's so obvious why this miraculous happening has garnered so much fame. Because we love stories of the improbable doing the impossible. The Cinderella story, the underdog, and all that. We love it. And here's the truth. God uses all sorts of people, even the most unlikely, sometimes particularly the most unlikely, to accomplish his purposes and build his kingdom in the world around us. All the people, everyone around us, whether they are fellow believers or not, are a part of the larger story that God is writing. God uses improbable people to do impossible things. We find a similar story in the book of Ezra. Last week, we read about King Cyrus, who was a Persian leader who released the people of Israel out of a 70-year exile and allowed them to go home. Then when they got home, they immediately began to rebuild their home that had been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. But when this guy by the name of Artaxerxes took over, things changed. Not only did he cease the work being done on the home of the Israelites, but he sent in military forces to make sure no work could be continued. So the Jews are now left with no money and no support to complete the rebuild of their home and their connection with God. Imagine being held hostage away from your home for 70 years and then finally being allowed to go back. But just as soon as you start getting things the way you want them, someone says, no, stop. So you're home, but home doesn't feel like home. So Artaxerxes doesn't seem to care much for the Jews, but after what the Bible says is about seven years, Artaxerxes seems to have had a change of heart. Perhaps it was spending time with the Jewish people and developing relationships with them that caused this change of heart. We really know. But the fact is he did have a change of heart, and he writes a letter to Ezra, who was one of the main religious and therefore political leaders of the Jewish people. And it goes like this in Ezra 7. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Together with all the silver and the gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offering of the people and priests of the temple of their God in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams, and male lambs together with their grain offerings and drink offerings and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God. And anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply, you may provide from the royal treasury. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God. And you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. So the same man who did everything in his power to stop the Jewish people from feeling at home in their home 
is now doing everything in his power to help these people not only rebuild what was lost, but to flourish in many other ways as well and pays reverence to that God of the Israelites. So why the sudden change of heart? The truth is that we don't really know. There's no specific mention of what turned or changed Artaxerxes' heart, other than the peace that the Israelites constantly lived in. So maybe it was the exposure to people who didn't look like the king, who didn't talk like the king, and didn't believe the same thing that the king believed that created a change of heart in him. And I want to note that the text makes zero claim here that all of a sudden Artaxerxes immediately went to become circumcised so he could be marked as a member of the Jewish community. In all likelihood, Artaxerxes still practiced Zoroastrianism, the predominant faith of the Persian Empire. In this scenario, God uses the improbable to do the impossible. God uses an abuser of God's people as the hinge point for the movement of the kingdom in the direction that God needed it to go. And with the king's help, the Israelites did rebuild their home, and at the center of it all, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt their place of connection with God. The entire story of the Bible and the story of all creation is God desiring to be in partnership with us, with humans, in order to make the world look more like God intended from the beginning. And because of that, God does not discriminate who God chooses to use. And I don't just mean who God chooses to call into ministry. I mean who God chooses to use at any point for any purpose. God uses improbable people to do impossible things. And the Apostle Paul much later echoes this sentiment in Philippians 1, where he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You see, Paul rejoices when Christ is preached, when the kingdom of God is grown, regardless of the motives or from who it comes from, because Paul knows that God can use anybody in any action for his purposes. If this list of people who God will use includes Oscar Schindler and King Artaxerxes, then this list most certainly includes the person who you simply cannot stand. The person who could not be more different from you, who doesn't even seem like they care at all about anyone but themselves. God can and wants to use that person. So don't be an obstacle to that movement from God and don't fail to see God in their actions just because you don't like most of their other actions. And it doesn't even have to be the person that you don't like or can't stand. It could be someone you like. It could be your boss or your kid's little league coach or your neighbor or politician who maybe doesn't proclaim Christ. God can and will use them. So often, God wants to give the world a kingdom gift, but it's Christians who refuse to receive the gift because it isn't packaged the way that we might prefer. But how much more glory can God receive because God is so great and so powerful and so loving that God uses even pagans to expand his kingdom on earth? What would it look like if we saw every single person around us as co-partners in the story that God is writing? How would it change the way we talk to people, the way we treat people? 
even those people we have a hard time seeing eye to eye with? And how might it change our hearts? How might it change the hearts of others if we treated them like that? If God is willing to bring about his purposes in the world by using the most unlikely of people, who are the people that you have disqualified from your life for one reason or another that God still has not given up on? What if since God partners with all of humanity, God doesn't call Christians just to partner with Christians, but God calls his followers to serve the world with everyone, atheists, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Christians, men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. When we see other people, we should see a part of God's masterful story, no matter which chapter of it any of us are on, knowing that God uses improbable people to do impossible things. Amen.